0: 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode 106, here with Josh. We got a slightly long video that we're going to look through today, so we're okay. going to kind of get right into this. So, um, as some people have uh, are aware, right, obviously there's this huge controversy in dog training, balance training versus force-free training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, guy named Zach George. Zach George is like the leader of force-free training on YouTube. <laughs> the massive, massive, massive YouTube following, right? It this does. dude is like massively famous, yeah. right? Um, Zach George has started shifting his platform from essentially like an, a, a, a fun entertaining series of just training dogs and stuff. I'm like, know whatever questionable training and this and that but like it's they're entertaining videos you know we've Uh talked about him before like i you know he seems like a fun guy you know he's very charismatic puts out good youtube videos and stuff like that and they're very entertaining you know um but he started to shift his channel over the last like month or so to being like a total anti-balance training page right so like his last like seven or eight uploads that he's done have been like he's waging war against the balance training community right so he posted this video this has been his longest one so far He's basically, from my understanding of what some people have sent me of this, he's compiled all of like the scientific studies and stuff like that that a lot of people use to, to talk against balance training and kind of broke them down in this video, I believe. So I'm interested to watch it. I'm pretty familiar with most of these studies, and you know, I always try to look at this stuff critically. You know, I think as balance trainers, there's a lot that can be learned from understanding other perspectives in this equation and not just looking to completely defend ourselves with it obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I want to break down this video today and talk about it a little bit. And this is kind of an on the whim thing because we were supposed to have a guest this morning, but unfortunately, our guest at 6 a.m. lost power, which resulted in them losing internet, which resulted in them not being able to hop on the Zoom call. Yeah. So that's going to get rescheduled for next week. There we go. Uh, do you think this is our fault? What? The Zach
1: George. No, no, no. You think?
0: <laughs> did we piss off Zach?
1: <laughs> we George? opened his eyes to the balance
0: trading yeah, world. Yeah, right? <laughs> they um, exist so we're going to we're going to ta-
2: Not enough. Yeah, we're talking about legitimate training advice. Okay. So these training cards come in every <laughs> we're box. I almost screwed that incredibly up. Incredibly packed okay. with information on things okay. you should be right the rip here. particular month Ants. with your dog. They've oh, been yeah. years the and box. years into figuring Ants. out the training needs of dogs at certain ages. Can Pupbox tell me how to get her to stop biting me right now? Uh, oh. Literally every month you get motivation Can in a box, box that helps you keep up with your dog's training. Because let's face it, we all know consistency is the name of the game. Man, and that's way easier said than done. When you get a box in the mail, says hey here's what to work on here's the supplies here's the toys here's the treats Bro. that you need that kind of has a way of getting you to work your, with your dog a lot more uh, you can get half off when you uh, use our right special link key, just go to hotbox.com slash Zach and use
0: there we go this- Jeez Louise oh my god and now we get a regular ad oh my gosh this is always what happens man <laughs> that-
2: These damn ads every, every time on dude.
1: videos you can't, so you know, all we can say is this guy makes his money though. This is
2: an ultra sensitive topic that affects right, everyone in our community. I especially want to be respectful to people who train differently than I do throughout this video. I want to challenge us all, myself included, to feel a little bit uncomfortable in this conversation. I really deep down feel like. This is a discussion worth having. We need to have it now. As a dog trainer, I am deeply concerned about the future of our industry, given what I'm seeing on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. My hope and expectations with this video is that if I outline my concerns and I show what my current understanding of the data is, that maybe I can be shown where I've miscalculated or where I'm looking at this all wrong. I seriously mean this. I genuinely want this to be a good faith discussion. And I'm gonna be presenting some questions throughout this video that I have a genuine interest in hearing your response to. I wanna make sure that we all feel free to discuss this topic openly and in a way that is honest and without judgment on anyone. So today we're going to go over aversive dog training methods. Definitions are very important in discussions like this. Thank you a type of behavior therapy designed to make patients give up an undesirable habit by causing them to associate it with an unpleasant effect there is a wide spectrum of using aversives in dog training it can be as simple as saying nope you can't have that treat or on the more extreme end practically as we see it in dog training sometimes it can be a more heavy-handed approach with a choke chain or a prong collar and swift harsh corrections being delivered at optimal moments. The purpose of aversives are to discourage future behavior by creating something unpleasant that a dog will associate with that thing in their mind. We also really need to talk about the difference between balance training and compulsion training, whether or not we should incorporate punishments for more extreme this is the thing that I hear thrown around a lot: is the balanced
0: training versus compulsion training. Where a lot of people, and we see this on TikTok, a lot of come on and be like, "You're a compulsion trainer, not a balanced trainer." Mm-hmm. And I am curious what his opinion on that is because everybody I've asked, I was like, "Can you define that for me? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like what exactly does that mean? Yeah. Right? Does compulsion training mean that you're primarily using aversives and only adding in a little bit of?" Positive reinforcement? Does mm. it mean that you're using zero positive reinforcement at all and only aversive methods? Does it mean, you know, what exactly does it mean? How do you break that down?
2: Yeah. dream behaviors like aggression. We're gonna examine why punishments are still used in dog training today. And most importantly, and this will be the theme of the video, whether it's necessary To use aversive methods and if so when and what is the scientific data to back that claim up and this is a really passionate topic for dog trainers because it really centers around what should we be telling the public about how to train their dog at home dog trainers watching this we're all dog trainers we all got into this because we love dogs at no point am i ever questioning your love and dedication to making dogs lives better i know that we all come at it from that perspective. But we can still have a discussion on how to make each other better, right? And I'm hoping that you can help make me better. The question I have is, is it ever necessary to use punishment, particularly physical punishment, as part of a behavior modification or training plan, even with extreme cases like aggressive behavior? And if so, what is the scientific data to support that claim. Throughout this video, we're going to provide you with our perspective and the data that we think supports that perspective. But I do want to remind everyone that when we're having discussions like this, the burden of proof lies on the party that's making the claim. In this case, it would be dog trainers who are saying that sometimes aversive methods are necessary. I mean, from where I sit, to be honest with you guys, I think we are in a dog training renaissance at the moment. I mean, dogs are learning to talk with buttons right now. No, they're head- not.
0: If anybody cares to learn about the dogs <laughs> with buttons conversation, I believe we did an episode on that on like
2: episode number 10 of this podcast or something. Yeah, it was, it was really- ago.
0: We broke that down. Button talking is bullshit.
2: Bullshit. Every innovative study that we see about this topic, it's like, oh, wow dogs are even smarter than most of us guessed before. So in general, dog behavior science is relatively new, but we're finally starting to see a lot of data come in in recent years. Right now, there
0: is... One important thing to talk about right off the rip is, you know, obviously this is the push for most of the force-free community is, like he said, is it necessary to do so? And if it is necessary to do so, show the scientific evidence and proof that it's necessary to do so. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about who's running most of these tests, right? Mm -hmm. The people that are doing these studies and particularly these peer reviewed studies that the force free community likes to push are the people that have the most monetary, um, uh, 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 investment in this subject. And a lot of it is coming from the veterinarian community, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of it is coming from, um, the people that are pushing, 4. Uh, these methods obviously to become more normalized because I think they have skin in the game from the standpoint of we've talked about things like uh, medication for dogs Mm. right and all that kind of stuff so there's not a whole lot of people out there that are are wanting to go and like prove and do these scientific studies that like oh you have to use an averse of this and that but what we do have is basically an unlimited amount of anecdotal evidence which they like to discredit because they say it's not scientific it's not peer reviewed but the fact of the matter remains that we're the only side of the spectrum that has visible proof that you could look at of seeing how these methods work and help dogs overcome things Mm -hmm. right past that again science learning theory is science right positive punishment and negative reinforcement exist because it's real and
2: because it works yeah so it is scientific it is accurate yeah so let's keep going What can only be described as a major disconnect with how the scientific community looks at animal behavior and dog behavior and what dog trainers are teaching the public about dog behavior. And so the general public has a certain perception of how dogs should be trained. Broadly speaking, I think we agree there's a couple of ways that people attempt to train their dogs. They'll use treats to let them know when they've done something right, and they might use corrections or punishments to communicate to the dog, you've done something that I don't like. And to be clear, dog trainers refer to corrections like this, even subtle ones like taking a treat away from a dog when you're encouraging them to sit and they don't do it. We refer to those things as punishments, things that are viewed as unpleasant to the dog. And as we discussed before, wide variance in the use of various types of punishment in dog training. I do want to be clear that all punishments are not equally impactful on a dog. Saying you can't have a piece of chicken to a dog probably isn't viewed as aversive to a dog as using an electric collar in a situation. So again, Scientific studies have
0: shown that for some dogs, the withholding of reward can be perceived as more aversive on the dog than a physical punishment. Yeah. So. He is correct that every dog perceives it different, but a lot of people like to throw that out there of like, oh, it's the nicer option. But if you get a really, really jacked up dog and you're constantly withholding something that they want, that can create so much frustration. And we've even seen right dogs that when you're withholding things that they want, they will resort to such frustrated responses as attacking over that type of thing because of how much unpleasantness or discomfort that it actually causes them.
2: Yeah situation that causes them discomfort. A lot of people, if not most people, are going to use a combination of rewards and punishments in their training. Virtually all dog trainers agree that rewards are fantastic and productive for dog training regardless of their disciplines. In other words, positive reinforcement dog training amongst virtually all dog trainers is the equivalent of green vegetables are good for you. In learning theory, the principles that govern how all animals learn. Punishments and aversion are actually never required. There is no known instance in the animal kingdom where using physical punishment is required to create new behavior or to stop unwanted behavior. And so if one is making the claim that sometimes tools like choke chains, prong collars, and electric collars are necessary to deliver a version to a dog to discourage. So this is where it starts getting interesting, where again, I
0: understand what he's saying, and I actually don't disagree with him mm-hmm. under the assumption that whatever you have to use as positive reinforcement is Always of higher value than whatever the competing motivator is. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, let's take a dog that's ridiculously prey driven, right, and loves to freaking go after squirrels every time they see them. Right. Yeah. Technically speaking, yes, you can overcome that with positive reinforcement, but you get to then the question of. What do you have that is more motivating than the squirrel? Yeah. And can you guarantee that you're going to be able to provide that to the dog in place of the squirrel anytime you're present than it? So, mm-hmm. listen, maybe if you want to start carrying around a backpack full of squirrels so that every time another squirrel <laughs> is out there, you pull a bigger and faster squirrel out that's attached to a leash that your dog can chase instead. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it might be correct. Yeah. Right. But this is where you get into, and this is all of our argument this whole time, right, is the unpredictability of, like, the human world Mm -hmm. doesn't constitute us being able to do that all the time. True. Right? But yes, he's not wrong, right? Technically speaking, positive reinforcement works. Just like I just said, um, positive punishment and negative reinforcement, they're scientifically accurate. They work. Positive reinforcement and negative punishment work, right, Mm -hmm. without a question of a doubt. They work. Yeah. But... Do you have the appropriate motivation and will you always be able to provide the appropriate motivation to overcome the distractions you're struggling with in the real world where it doesn't completely overthrow your life needing to like
2: sidestep around every single problem that you're having? Yeah, exactly. It's future behavior then they would be responsible for uncovering new science. Now look, that is not the same as saying that aversion isn't sometimes necessary in a dog's life. The question to me really centers around the intentional use of aversives. But let me give you an example. Let's say I have two dogs in my company, they're getting into a fight and I have to break up a fight. I may have to break up the fight by grabbing them and separating the dogs in a very assertive way that the dogs could view as unpleasant, but it's necessary in that moment. That's not what I'm talking about. But never would a dog trainer. But that would be like a necessary
0: thing, right? Like,
2: it's still necessary,
0: right? Like, so so it's kind of going against your claim of like, oh, this is a time where it might be necessary, but I'm going to throw it away, right? Mm -hmm. Or what if your dog accidentally slips around the gate that you put to manage them from jumping on Grandma Joe when she comes over the house, and you need to provide some sort of aversive to stop the dog from jumping in that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, it might be necessary in there, but again, they're going to flip the argument to if you're doing an appropriate job of managing things, if you're not screwing things up, it's not necessary. But Mm -hmm. again, real life happens, right? Those things are going to happen. Management only works until it doesn't work anymore so we have to have fail safes in place to be able to address those things as they happen in the most efficient way possible yep
2: i hope not anyway assume oh that's how i train a dog not to fight and i'm not saying they do say that i'm trying to explain that it really comes down to using intentional aversives as part of a behavior modification plan to get a dog to behave as we wish them to to be uh, or as a training program. Is that distinction clear? If a dog fight breaks out, I got to break up the dog fight by virtually any means necessary. Do I think that that is a wise training approach to resolve the aggressive issue long term? No, I do not. What responsible trainers do, whether they use aversives or not in their dog training, is they take a step back, they develop a plan of how to address this issue. Ideally, that plan is should be a medium to long-term goal because it's a complex issue and give their client the appropriate advice about how to systematically desensitize, how to counter condition, and how to get that dog on the path. This actually isn't even controversial, but virtually all behavior science, where physical punishment is used, virtually always concludes that there are long-term welfare concerns. Even though, scientifically speaking, there is no known instance where aversive methods are required, we still see punishments implemented frequently throughout the dog training community to resolve... So the other interesting part of this
0: conversation is the use of required, right? So as described in the last thing that I was talking about here, where... We would discuss, yes, positive reinforcement by itself or the use of rewards and withholding of rewards by itself, technically speaking, can resolve any issues if you're doing your job properly. So either the motivation is high enough like we talked about or you're making sure you're always working the dog under threshold. But again, sometimes you get into this plan, these plans you're creating, the medium Mm. to long term plan to resolve these issues may take five years to resolve if you're going that route. And that's only if you're doing a perfect job of managing where a lot of people aren't professional dog trainers and aren't gonna be able to do a perfect job of managing. So then I would shift required to individual cases, right? Mm -hmm. How do we determine if something is necessary or not by looking at the circumstances of the owner and of the dog and asking how realistic is it gonna be that this person follows the proper plan or can I put in place a program that's going to allow them to get quicker results and maybe is less ideal from the the perspective of some of these force free trainers but is going to achieve faster results which is ultimately going to allow the long-term benefit of
2: living a better life with the dog mm deeply complex issues. Now, two of the studies in dog training that are often referenced were both done in 2017, and they're both comprehensive reviews, studies of studies, so to speak. And the purpose of these studies was to try to get an overall consensus as to really how your dogs at home should be trained and advised by professional dog trainers. But the results of both of these compilations of studies suggest that aversive methods are correlated with stress behaviors, elevated cortisol levels, and this is an important one. Fear and aggression within dogs. Now, one of these... St- okay. Here we go.
0: Duh, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, like, I mean, again, yeah. like, there's so many people that like to sugarcoat the aversive thing, yeah. right? And And talk about how they don't create fear mm. or don't create stress or anxiety or anything like that, right? Mm. But the thing is... That's because we're making something very unpleasant in that moment. Yeah. Right? So obviously, if something unpleasant happens to you, it's not going to be... You're not going to like it. (laughs) No, exactly. The last time I got a freaking ticket for speeding was before our fucking podcast episode. Remember that one time? Yep. And... Guess what? I was in a pretty bad mood for the next couple of hours. We're not happy. Right. I was not in a great mood, right? I was definitely a little bit agitated, Mm -hmm. right? I was definitely a little bit anxious because it's like, God damn it, like I'm gonna have to pay this ticket and this fine and this and that. Mm -hmm. But all of those feelings I got from that have deterred me from making that mistake again. True. Right? Yeah. So it still accomplished the goal, right? Mm -hmm. And the other side of this equation that's very, very important to understand is how long-lasting are those side effects, right? Yeah. Not that long-lasting, usually. Exactly. And it's situation by situation. It depends on the intensity of the aversion, obviously. But... In most cases, yeah, there may be a temporary increase in a little bit of fear or anxiety with the long-term benefit of the next time they go to make that mistake, they definitely don't make that mistake, and then they have slightly less anxiety around that decision, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next time they don't make that mistake, and it's slightly less. And the next time they don't make that mistake, and it's slightly less. But in the moment when we deliver a punishment, we definitely want the dog to be fearful of making that decision again.
2: Yeah, exactly reviewed 17 different scientific papers that compared reward-based training methods to training methods that incorporated punishment. There were five surveys that compared a variety of different training methods. And they found that people who incorporate aversive techniques in their training are more likely to report fear and aggression or behavior problems. Those surveys were met with skepticism by some, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The review also looked at three other studies that directly observed dogs. And those studies also found that using aversive methods might likely affect canine welfare and negatively impact behavior. Researchers also attempted to look at dog-to-dog aggression by including a questionnaire study that found that dogs who were trained using aversive techniques were more likely to be the perpetrator in dog-to-dog interactions. Now, in the case of this study, this
0: Okay, so here's the other side of that equation. They found that the dogs that were trained with aversive methods were more likely to be the perpetrators of dog aggression. A lot of times the reason why they needed that aversive training in the first place is because they were dog aggressive. Yeah, they were already dog aggressive before. Right? So that correlation, this is what I mean about the science and how it gets a little bit sticky when you look at these things. They are trying to look at, right, their objective of this is to prove that positive-only training is better than balanced training or the use of aversive methods. So they're going to be highlighting those things without the proper context behind it. The other thing that's very interesting about a lot of these studies is... I know one in particular, there was a study that was done using herding dogs and they went through a training program and then went back to their handlers and the handlers handled them and they studied how the dog was performing for the handler and the dogs that were used with aversive methods showed a higher level of stress than the dogs without the use of aversive methods. But there was no insight as far as how much training the handler got on on how to properly use that training after the fact. Mm. So if they're using aversive methods with the dog and they don't know how to use those
2: aversive methods, of
0: course, again,
2: the dog is going to be more yeah. stressed out. 100%. It, some people using more extreme types of punishments, like hitting them or shaking them, which most modern dog trainers, balanced or positive alike, uh, don't agree with. The study also took a look at the efficacy of bar collars, shot collars, and electric fences. Results suggest that using those tools might be painful or frightening to some dogs.
0: Duh! Like, again, (laughs) like, I mean, like, again, we're we're not sugarcoating these things. E-collars work because they don't feel good. Yeah, exactly. that's, That's why, right? So, like, we're just throwing this jargon out there to tell people, oh, it hurts, you shouldn't use it. It's like, well, that's... It's literally why it works. Like, what did you think you were getting when you got a shock collar? Yeah.
2: Having negative effects between a dog and their handler, their overall welfare, and their training performance. This study of studies also concluded that reward-based methods uh, don't carry with them the same long-term welfare concerns and might actually be more effective. But the question isn't, is it more effective to use one method or the other?
0: Now, again, I, as far as this, like, oh, you could lose trust in the handler and, well, force-free doesn't have all the side effects of, you know, balance training. But that's like saying, let me put this into a human example, right? Well, getting a standard nine-to-five job doesn't run you the risk of, you know, Losing your house and going bankrupt and all this kind of stuff because you did something really risky So you should never try to pursue your dreams or start a business or do anything like that because there's so much potential fallout from doing that which would be an accurate and a pretty similar statement to make of Yeah Well, if you try to do this and you do it so fucking bad and incorrect it might harm your relationship with your dog Right. Yeah but if you do it 100% correctly and you understand what you're doing and you work with a trainer on doing it, you could possibly have a really, really phenomenal relationship with your dog. Yeah. But you shouldn't try to strive for that. You should just <laughs> accept the bare minimum of zero risk, but like, you still can't really do shit with your dog because they're poorly yeah. behaved. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The question is, is it necessary to use aversives in dog training today? I have zero desire to cherry pick data that supports my perspective. Instead, my perspective is informed by the scientific data that I'm aware of. Criticisms of these studies are certainly valid, but it's not about any one study in and of itself. Rather, it's the body of science that should inform our opinion. Obviously, further research is always needed in all aspects of science. With people who don't necessarily agree or like the findings of these studies, one thing that I've noticed is that some will be quick to toss out the validity of the studies because, for example, they included a lot of survey studies. Now, you might remember in a recent video, we actually talked about what went into a proper survey study. It isn't as though it's just some people sitting in a room who come up with some random questions. A good survey study has been shown to deliver accurate data and weed out the noise. Sometimes people like to think that it's better to have a trained professional come in and observe a pet dog if that's what's being studied because they're gonna know what to look for and the right data to gather. But if you think about that, there are some issues with that approach as well. How many different contexts can a trained professional evaluate a dog in, in a short period of time? What if the dog is having an off day? What if being observed in and of itself causes the dog to behave differently? So in many cases, guardians giving information about their own dogs is the most accurate way to gather necessary information, depending on what's being studied, of course. The people who typically know their dogs best are the guardians of those pets. And if we can ask the questions in a way that regular people can answer, and we found a scientific way to weed out much of the noise, that can be a wealth of data as it relates to dog behavior. So it's not necessarily valid to say, oh, survey studies, too much room for error. You didn't invent that. The scientists thought of that already. These studies are published in scientific peer-reviewed journals. I say that to let you know that they have undergone and conformed to the scientific method to the best of our ability. What about since 2017? I mean, that was five years ago. Well, more and more findings keep coming out. Studies done in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022 today continue to support that aversive approaches in dog training have with them long-term welfare concerns. And I will tell you this right now on the record, if we start getting a large body of science that starts to come in that suggests that these physical corrections that I'm skeptical of right now are necessary or that they contribute to a dog's long-term well-being or that they're uh, more effective, then I will do a 180 on this like that. And again, I'm not trying to be difficult on this at all right now, but to suggest that aversives are necessary as part of a behavior modification plan or a training plan is at odds with what science tells us. Being on the other side of science on this issue is a scary place to be When we're in a scientific profession. This is a complex issue amongst dog trainers, so there's more to cover. Let's continue. If you're with me so far, I can hear many of you saying, Zach, that's great, positive reinforcement is fine, but it's not appropriate for all dogs in all situations. Some dogs need those physical corrections, particularly those who have issues of aggressive behavior. For example, if a dog is so scared of humans, they might lash out and bite them, and so maybe it becomes easier to justify the use of this is an interesting twist that i hear a lot too which is the um the use of the
0: argument of like that we're saying that the aggressive dogs are the ones that really need it Mm -hmm. i actually would agree with zach on this one from the standpoint of like i don't really think that corrections and aversives and stuff like that are what help aggressive dogs get past their aggression Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before like especially with a lot of fear-based aggression issues like The use of an aversive could temporarily suppress the behavior a little bit, but it's definitely not addressing the underlying root of things like a lot of bounce or a lot of force free trainers like to talk about, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to go about the process of getting the dog more acclimated and getting the dog more comfortable around that specific trigger. But again, the use of aversives in that moment help you gain just a little bit more control as you work through that process. So that's where the necessity of it comes from. And again, Uh you can get back to, is it necessary? Yeah. No. If you want to keep your dog isolated from the trigger as you, again, work the dog under threshold and take potentially the dog's entire life to start to get them comfortable around certain triggers. Mm-hmm. You could go ahead and do that, and you'll probably find find yourself getting closer towards the goal that you want. But a lot of people need to get past these things quickly for safety reasons, right? Mm-hmm. They need to be able to suppress and get the dog's behavior under control, understanding that it's going to create a little bit of fear or anxiety temporarily in the dog but also understanding the dog is already fearful and anxious of that trigger so we're just shifting the fear towards something else to get their
2: attention off of it so that we're ultimately being more
0: safe about things
1: exactly
2: it's tools because a dog biting humans ends badly for a dog aggression in huge part in dog training does stem from fear and anxiety. There are many known ways to address fear and anxiety that do not involve the use of aversive punishments. This is not controversial in the field of animal behavior. To the contrary, it's well established. Keep in mind, though, that aggressive behavior can also stem from instinct, fear, stress, hormonal changes, social (laughs) dynamics, genetics and environmental factors, of course. It is shown time and time again throughout the animal kingdom, including dogs and humans, that punishing aggressive behavior as a strategy to eliminate it long term is not only unnecessary, but extremely likely to be counterproductive. What is the scientific data on dog aggression? One 2017 study showed successful rehabilitation of dogs who had resource guarding issues. And for that, they used clicker training alone, which is generally considered to be exclusively positive reinforcing. Now, the sample size was very small on this study, but the results were still clear, at least with these dogs. Every single dog in the study showed improvement and Aversive punishment was not used at any point in the study. So there's a study that shows you that at least in this case. Getting back to Showed improvement,
0: which, which, listen, again, I'm, that's great. Like, obviously, that can help improve those things. But within the study, I would want to know more details of one, what was the severity of the resource guarding when the dog started the program? And two, improvement could mean when the dog started, you couldn't get within 30 feet of the dog without it attacking you. Yeah. And by the end of the study, you were able to get. 20 feet away from the dog without it trying to attack you. But if you close that threshold anymore, they still tried to attack you. Yeah. Right. So, what does improvement mean in that situation? How much improvement did you actually see? And was the amount of improvement that you actually saw enough to then say, this dog now has made enough improvement where it's no longer a threat to the people in its home? I don't know. Exactly. But this is what I mean about the science is being pushed
2: towards an agenda. Mm -hmm. It was not necessary to use aversion to get the dogs to stop guarding resources. Another recent 2022 uh, study surveyed people in the UK who were seeking help with their dogs and hired canine professionals. Some of them were positive. Some of them may use mixed methods. But the bottom line is, even though aggression was the number one reason people were likely to hire one of these trainers. They didn't perceive any difference between those who used more uh, aversive methods versus those who used methods that did not include aversions. So bottom line is that they were perceived as equally effective to people uh, seeking out dog training in the UK. So even here where we see aversives, okay, yeah, they're, they're just as good as positive re- So then, again, just just
0: bringing further questions to all these studies that weren't the goal of the study, so obviously they wouldn't have the answers to, but again, you get to, how was that study conducted? Did they just reach out to people and say, hey, you did training at a force-free community, you did training at a balanced training community, right, or or trainer, right? Mm -hmm. You had aggression issues, you had aggression issues. Hey, what was your experience like? Did you see results? Yeah, I really I really had a good a good experience with my trainer. And the other person, hey, did you see results? Yeah, I really had a good experience with my trainer. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. So you both are saying that you were pretty, you were happy with the results you had, mm-hmm. right? Which is equal, which in their case says, okay, well, if they were very happy and they were very happy, why wouldn't you just go with the one that doesn't use the aversives, right? Yeah. It's not necessary then. But again, what does showing, uh, I forgot exactly how we said it, what does uh, showing equal results mean? Again, how much Mm -hmm. progress did they make? Was their experience and the reason why they're saying they thought that they had a good experience because they justified in their head that the amount of progress they made was good enough for them? Yeah. You know, what was the actual difference in the progress? Where did both of those dogs start out with their behavioral issues
2: prior to starting training?
1: Yeah, you get none of that information
2: of meant they worked. But here's the thing though, if all things are equal, why would we add punishment if it's not necessary? So exactly again, none of these <laughs> studies are showing us where using aversive methods are necessary. Uh, this is a great study. Also a 2021 study really examined Uh, how dogs behave in a veterinary setting. Dogs are probably more likely to behave aggressively in that setting where pain is sometimes unavoidable. They're getting shots. Maybe they need to be restrained for one reason or another. They used positive reinforcement and time and patience. They were able to correlate a reduction in aggressive behaviors. They did that by using easy managing techniques and positive.
0: I don't disagree with that at all. Right? So, like, obviously, if your dog developed a more positive association with going to the veterinarian office, they're going to behave better there. Right? Oh, yeah. The problem is, one, a lot of people don't have time to take their dog to the vet every week for, like, micro-training sessions to get the dog acclimated to things. Which is where, again, using some sort of consequence or whatever it may be can help you at least gain some control initially so that you don't have to sedate the dog every time you go there. Yeah, But I don't totally disagree with that one. Yeah. You know, obviously we want to create a more positive association with that. That's why the dogs, when they come to our facility, for example, as they start to develop a more positive association with coming, they're usually better about being handled by us. Yep.
2: So that's not inaccurate reinforcement. Another 21 study looked into the effectiveness of various techniques for the treatment of canine aggression and found that positive methods tended to be the most consistent beneficial technique, even in the case of aggressive behavior. This isn't even new. B.F. Skinner, the person who coined the quadrants positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment, understood that punishment wasn't ideal and noticed considerable side effects. B.F. Skinner himself noticed that punishment could lead to increased aggression, decreased motivation, lower self-esteem, and even decreased compliance when using these physical punishments in his experiments. The case to use a lot of these controversial methods in dog training is that there are four quadrants. We should use all of them, but this probably isn't the optimal interpretation of the four quadrants. Which brings us to our next section. Let's talk about balanced training. I hate labels, uh, especially as they relate to other humans and dogs. But there are a couple of labels that we can't deny are pretty relevant to this situation. Broadly speaking, there are two main types of dog trainers. There are those trainers who do not intentionally use aversives as part of their behavior modification or training plan. And then there are those trainers who will consider the use of using one of the three tools we've talked about, choke chains, prong collars, electric collars, or some other potentially aversive method as part of their approach if they deem it necessary for that particular dog. So the first type of trainer we talked about is generally considered force-free. That doesn't mean though that force-free trainers never use aversives. They're just not ever a part of a formal training plan for a dog. But in general, the goal is to not have to rely on aversives at all and design a training plan that takes that into account. And then of course, the second type is the type of trainer who will keep on the table and consider the use of aversive methods when training dogs. Uh, Trainers like this are often considered balanced dog trainers. The term balanced is supposed to refer to Skinner's four quadrants and how they should all be considered and used when training a dog. And it it sounds so sensible, especially since it's drawn four equal parts. So they'll use positive reinforcement. Sometimes they'll use punishment, negative or positive punishment. We can get into all that another time. They may consider the use of choke prong or electric collars at some point in their training. And if we're all being honest, all of those tools are specifically engineered to be aversive to dogs when used as directed. It, some people will take me to task on that, and I don't understand if I am.
0: I agree with him. Uh, that's my biggest qualm with a lot of uh, balance trainers out there. Is they try to talk about these tools as if they're nice and great and positive and this and that, they're aversive tools. Wrong
2: mm-hmm. about that. Please tell me why that's not the case. So, amongst trainers who call themselves balance, the spectrum is quite wide. There are trainers who will just, you know, default from day one to using tools on dogs like choke prong electric collars. There are other trainers who will use it once every two years. The thing that the trainers have in common is that they refer to themselves as balanced. However, within the balanced dog training community, you have the two sets of what many of us would call compulsion trainers over here, and then those who are going to use tools far more reluctantly over here, balanced dog trainers. This is why dog training methods are highly confusing to the public, it would seem. So compulsion trainers are typically those really heavy-handed dog trainers that you'll see, very common on social media. You'll often see them just very early on in the training process, put one of the tools we've talked about earlier on the dog, and just more or less default to that. It's not like on the third, fourth, fifth lesson with these guys, and very often, They'll get these dogs to submit like that. We need to discuss why that is highly problematic. And truthfully, most positive and balanced dog trainers, we, we're all kind of seeing the same thing, that compulsion trainers definitely refer to themselves as balanced a huge number of the time. And there's a lot of compulsion under the umbrella of so-called balanced training. So this is where we get to, so what is that he had said at the very beginning
0: of this video, definitions are important. So what is the definition of compulsion training then at that point? Yeah. Because all he said was the ones that tend to default to the aversives, the ones that use it on the first session. So is it that if you use a tool on your first session that you're a compulsion trainer, what if you use a tool on the first session to start your leash walking and then you never touch the tool again after it? Does that mean that you're a balance trainer then at that point? Does that mean you're still a compulsion trainer? What exactly does that mean? Additionally, again, the trigger words of like, they'll get the dogs to submit very quickly, right? Yeah. We would have to get into then the definition of submit. And if it simply means to be compliant, then why is that such a bad thing, right? Yeah. If I get a dog to... uh do things that I want them to do for treats, or because I'm not giving them treats, wouldn't they be submitting to my desires to some extent still? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and,
1: and and there's okay. a- when you look at the definition of compulsion, it makes <laughs> it it doesn't make any sense that you would say it like as a trainer, compulsion char- trainer. Why did you look up the definition? Yeah, it's what just does it say? the action or state of forcing or being forced to do something.
0: Well, you're forcing a dog to do something.
1: Yeah, but technically aren't we all compulsion like compulsion training then
0: well cuz you're forcing means it, it, it's not an option Right, okay. So in the force-free community, a lot of things that I hear people say is like the dog should always have a say and stuff, right? The dog okay. should be a willing participant is something I hear a lot in the force- free community. Mm-hmm. right? So you would never be uh, using compulsion to train them because if they don't want to do it, you're mm-hmm. not going to force them to do it still at that point. Yeah. Where, again, just just straight out, I think if I ask a dog to do something, they have to do it regardless of if they want to do it or not and it's my job to make sure that i'm not asking them to do anything that's like detrimental to their well-being or something that's actually scary or whatever it may be yeah but as their guardian as their leader right it's my job to determine those things for them
2: and when i ask them to do something make sure that they are still compliant to me true In the ethics there. I feel like the term balanced has been so tarnished. I mean, really, if you're using positive reinforcement 98% of the time, you're practically there, maybe kick the ladder out. See if you can do it without the tools, because I think you can. And I think you can do it more often than you think you can. Do you know where I think the disconnect lies? Like really, if I could just pinpoint and put my finger on the issue, it's this. As we established earlier, science is telling us that all behaviors can be modified or trained without the use of aversive. So far, we've found no exceptions to that with any animal, humans included. And I think that's why we get so emotional about this issue sometimes. Our peers and our friends in dog training often are telling us that actually there are exceptions to learning theory in dog training. But the science doesn't support that. If I've missed something, bring it to my attention, because I just want to be a better dog trainer. So the observation we continue to make is that the more someone approaches this craft in good faith, makes an effort to learn what collectively we all know, the less likely they are to use aversives in their training. And there's evidence to support this. If you're a certified dog trainer, you're less likely to use punishments in your training. Is it that aversives are sometimes necessary? even?
0: There are a lot of certifications
2: out there. Excuse me. Um, that actually require that if they're
0: going to give you a certificate, that you are not going to use balanced training methods. Oh, really? Also, most of the certifications I believe Zach George actually has, some of them are from Karen Pryor, which we talked about
2: in the last
0: episode, (laughs) who used aversives with Mm -hmm. her dog.
2: It's inconsistent with scientific theory.
0: It's funny because this video came
2: out before all that came out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it that at some point in the training process we as dog trainers encounter something that becomes challenging to us. And we resort to using punishment because we don't know what to do next. That is okay. That is, I've been there many times, so I would not cast judgment on on any dog trainer in that situation. One thing I like to do is to research the topic in more depth, talk to trainers that I really trust on the matter. So I'm not shaming anyone who doesn't know what to do in challenging situations. I wanna get at even a deeper question here. In spite of what we know scientifically, why are aversives in dog training as a whole still so common? We are all a product of our system. No, what I'm saying is, we're all a product of our system. So if we, our, our environment is encouraging us to behave a certain way in relation to dogs, we're more likely to do that. And then you know how environmental culture goes. <sighs> I mean, it's a mess. I mean, it's. So it's very multifaceted. So with the mounting welfare concerns that we're seeing in the scientific community, why is there still such a disconnect between what science is telling us and what's being practiced in the field?
0: Another important thing, again, welfare concerns. What are those welfare concerns? In a lot of cases, it's situational fear, right? Mm -hmm. The dog may be situationally a little bit more nervous of making incorrect choices, but they don't. Also factor in, which is the important things. We're in a human industry. Is what are the welfare concerns of the human living with a dog, yeah, not yeah. using balanced training methods? Mm-hmm.
2: Now we're getting into like what I see as the real stuff here. The real stuff. One mm. 2018 study it. looked at this very question and tried to actually identify some of these barriers that were preventing people from updating their dog training knowledge dr Zazi todd wrote this study to try to illustrate the wide range of factors that might influence people's use or non-use of humane dog training methods there's a lot of things at play here including a person's personality their individual beliefs their education and their knowledge of dog training their awareness of professional bodies position statements in their industry perceived social pressure from their family and friends and peers. The situation is compounded by the lack of certification standards for dog trainers and the widespread availability of poor quality as well as high-quality dog training advice, plus the promotion of aversive training techniques by local trainers as well as celebrity trainers. Because there's a divide amongst us dog trainers in terms of training philosophies, the public is left with this idea that there is not consensus with how we should approach dog training, even though there actually is a scientific consensus. Dr. Todd also pointed... Guys,
0: I mean, like, so so, so the argument here is that people aren't doing it because of all of this information that's out there. They could see showing them mm-hmm. how effective balanced training methods are. He mentioned celebrity dog trainers, YouTube videos, before and afters showcasing results, testimonials, all this kind of stuff that would be considered anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. that doesn't fit within his realm of proof. But guess yeah. what? The best always rises to the top. Mm -hmm. If your methods were that good and that effective, you should be able to create an equally impressive anecdotal platform to share with the world, to show why what you're saying is accurate past scientific studies that we can pick apart and figure out inconsistencies within. Mm
2: -hmm. That dog training is a skilled activity. People might give up on positive reinforcement if they don't feel like they're making enough progress and, that causes discouragement. It seems that one of the things we've got to overcome is people trusting their instincts to train their dog. I can understand that, right? Not everyone's gonna be like, oh, let me go brush up on the latest science of dog training because I got a new puppy. I get it. There was a really interesting survey study in Italy that asked people um, how where they got their dog training information from, right? And 55% of people listed myself as their main source. I. I'm not even going to criticize that. How many things do I do in my day-to-day life that I don't get a professional... I don't have a personal trainer and I try to work out. That's probably a bad idea. So out of that 55% who answered myself, what are the numbers? 42% said that their education was influenced by the internet, TV, or a book. I think everyone can agree that there's a ton of misinformation as it relates to training dogs in the public eye. And 13% said that they got their dog training knowledge instinctively. Sometimes our instincts aren't, aren't as good as science. That's all I'm saying. Uh, in 2017, there was a study that looked at popular...
0: Well, listen, we know that the general
2: population doesn't know that much about dog
0: training. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give Zach this one also here. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's, you know, most people, if they're crediting themselves is how they know how to train dogs, pretty much everybody I've ever had that's come in that said, yeah, I've trained all my dogs up into this one, and this one just don't get it. That person <laughs> knows nothing about training dogs. So I'll give you that one, Zach.
2: ...dog training books in the US, UK, and New Zealand. It found a wide variety of training techniques recommended, from straight-up positive reinforcement in some cases, to the extremes of how hard a dog should be hit. And plus, there was demonstrably untrue information, as well as metaphysical information in these books. Again, with all of this inconsistent information, it's easy to see why the public remains confused. I don't think any...
0: I also agree with him that there is a lot of bullshit online about training dogs. Oh yeah. I agree with
2: that. Professional dog trainer wants to be presenting outdated information to their customers, to the public, or anything, and I don't think any of them intentionally do so. An article in Society and Animals looked at how dogs are viewed in dog training culture in Finland. This was interesting. And so this study found a difference between what they called dog centered and human-centered dog training approaches. So if you were a dog-centered trainer, that meant that you approach dog training as more of an equal partnership, where you shared power. You allow the dog to make mistakes with the aim of reinforcing when they do what you like and then build from there. In contrast to that, human-centered dog trainers viewed the relationship not so much as a partnership, but more hierarchical. So this discrepancy of viewing the training relationship as more of a partnership or more of a one-sided relationship seems to really be at the root of this divide around the world. I'm speaking very broadly here, and there will be exceptions to this. Many trainers who implement aversives in their training expect a dog to obey a command immediately. And if the dog doesn't comply, then they're either punished until they do the behavior, or the handler may physically assist them in making the behavior happen in some way. And so dogs who are being trained with positive reinforcement are encouraged to try things on their own. Since we want them to think for themselves, mistakes just aren't punished. So when you look at both of these approaches, look how the power dynamic is distributed. In one case, you have a partnership, and in another case, you have, I'm a human, the dog is here to serve me type attitude. A positive reinforcement approach actually gives some power to the dog as they brainstorm and mistakes are tolerated, and then successes are rewarded. It's very powerful. A 2017 study pointed out that. That's a
0: big spectrum, though, right? So, like, yeah. I do, I, I agree with what he's saying, right? And that's the biggest discrepancy. And that's the biggest reason why people will go towards balanced methods mm-hmm. is because dogs that are living in our house are here to provide us a better life. Right. Yeah. We want to provide them a great life, obviously. We want mm-hmm. them to enjoy themselves, but we get dogs for our own satisfaction. We oh, wouldn't yeah. have them for any other reason. <laughs> no. They're expensive, you have to clean them, uh-huh. they piss and shit everywhere. I mean, it's like there's a lot of negative that comes with dogs also. Yes. Right. So we wouldn't get them unless we enjoyed them to some extent. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so 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 I do believe that the dog is there. And, and they have to follow the rules for that reason, right? Mm-hmm. We come first in the totem pole, right? The dog yep. is not an equal party of the household from the standpoint of paying all my bills and <laughs> cleaning up yeah. after themselves and doing all those types of things, exactly. right? But you could have a spectrum of allowing the dog to make more minor mistakes mm-hmm. and letting them be independent and letting them be free-thinking individuals while mm-hmm. also having firm ground rules of the important things, mm-hmm. right? So that spectrum there of partnership,
2: versus there to serve our needs there's a hole in between on that yeah Positive reinforcement training does demand more from a trainer, though. That's because you have to really pay a lot of attention to a dog's body language and how they're behaving in a certain context, their emotional state, and what it really takes to set up that individual dog to succeed. I can see how that's perceived as a barrier because, I mean, there is a little more knowledge required to kind of manage those situations. It's not as basic as, you know, you don't listen, I'm going to make you listen. Or, and again, not saying all trainers who use aversives train that way necessarily, stay focused. I think we all agree that every professional dog trainer needs to take agency in their craft and in the dogs that they work with. I don't think that we can deny the cultural impacts that bleed into dog training, how it is representative of how society views certain roles. And that might be affecting people's adoption of using positive reinforcement-based methods in their training. I think we would be wise to be aware of cultural systemic issues that affect our profession as well. We're not done yet. Remember, the focus of this video is when is it ever necessary to use aversives as part of a behavior modification or training plan with dogs in some areas studies are slim especially as it related?: i want to
0: answer that question first right it
2: depends
0: on the owner's goals right it depends okay. on what your ideal life with a dog looks like Mm -hmm. and depending on that variable that you add into how a dog can be trained will determine what route you need to go there are plenty of people that take a force-free approach and are very happy with the results Mm -hmm. and they don't need to do that much managing and whatever managing they need to do they're okay with doing and then there are plenty of them that are not okay with that yeah so it's it's situational man situational I want to hold my dogs to a higher standard, right? I want to be able to do more things with them. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to do them in a pretty time-efficient manner. And I want to be able to guarantee that in situations where it's very important, I can guarantee the dog's going to be compliant. Exactly. Which is why I
2: train the way that I do. Yeah. To dogs, we actually have a strong precedent of how punishment affects human behavior in our culture already. And that is well-studied. We also have the understanding that mammals of all kinds have been shown to learn and process emotions in similar ways. In light of that, the position statement of the American Psychological Association on Corporal Punishment in Children is pretty clear. Scientific evidence demonstrates that physical discipline of children by parents and other caregivers can harm children's mental health and possibly increase their propensity toward aggressive behavior. Research indicates that physical discipline is not effective in achieving a parent's long term goals of decreasing aggressive and defiant behavior.
0: Here's an interesting thing with this point, because I've heard this argument as well, mm-hmm. right? The interesting thing with this point is a couple of things. One, at some point, the child is going to become an independent adult that is capable of making all of their own decisions without Mm -hmm. any sort of consequence from their guardian, which is where the confusion comes from, where they're going from one contrast to another of living in this contrast under their parents and then flipping it and living this out of control life with zero rules. Anytime you go from lots of structure to zero rules and you have a massive contrast, that could create all sorts of freaking problems. Oh yeah. Right? Listen, again, I'm no scientist, I'm no expert on this, but I think that makes pretty clear sense to me, mm-hmm. right? The other side of the spectrum is obviously with children, I could do so many things that are going to be just as aversive, mm-hmm. if not more aversive than a physical punishment because I could rationalize with them what certain thing I could equate taking something away to a behavior way more efficiently. Yeah. Right, So your mm-hmm. options are more open as far as how you can teach a child. Yeah, And we should be teaching them as a partnership and teaching them to make their own decisions because they are going to go off on their own eventually. So the training methods are going to vary yeah. from human to dog. The For dog sure. is always going to be under our guidance. Always, yeah. Always. We can provide the exact same structure and rules forever and ever
2: until the end of time with them, until they die. Mm-hmm. In children or of promoting regulated and socially competent behavior in children. The research on the adverse outcomes associated with physical discipline indicates that any perceived short-term benefits of physical discipline do not outweigh the detriments of this form of discipline. Now, I mean, take it, I understand that's talking about humans. The parallels are pretty striking. One study found 10 negative outcomes for corporal punishment in children, but one benefit. One benefit was immediate compliance. Isn't this what we often see when aversives are used in training? Immediate compliance. We'll see a wild and crazy dog immediately stop doing something after some firm corrections, and that can be highly persuasive to the public. They just want a well-behaved dog, and they want one as soon as possible. But you know what else we're seeing is the likelihood of up to 10 other potential outcomes as a result of that compulsion. The negative outcomes of punishment in children included aggression, reduced mental health, increased criminal or antisocial behavior, and a reduced quality of relationship with a parent. I don't think it's totally wrong to draw this parallel at all because of how closely dogs and people actually are. People like to point out how different they are, and they are very different. We are a completely different species. But I will remind you, that learning theory doesn't just apply to one animal at a time or one kind of animal. It applies to all animals, humans and dogs included. These are very similar to the dog training results that we talked about earlier. I mean, some of us might remember a time when corporal punishment in schools and at home was a hotly debated topic in society. But these days, and tell me if you agree with this, we've seen a dramatic shift to positive reinforcement in parenting culture. And that's because we understand that it's been shown to be more effective and that those side effects are very real and not worth the risks okay if we are collectively able to acknowledge that there's no known instance where physical aversion is necessary in order to modify behavior or teach new behavior in humans or any other animal what justification do we as professionals have making it part of a regular training regimen That is the question. Even if you think that the science is way too flawed in the dog field, way too flawed in learning theory, the burden of proof to support your case lies with the person making the claim. In this case, the person who says that aversives are necessary sometimes in dog training. And if one feels that way, they must then show the scientific data that supports that hypothesis. And I'm not trying to be nitpicky here. But remember, dog training, by its very nature, is a scientific profession. We are the ones trusted with getting living beings to behave differently than they do right now. I'm dying to get your feedback on this as a professional trainer. I'm really curious to see what your perspective is. I encourage you guys to follow us on social. We have freedom to get into these topics even more so sometimes on TikTok and Instagram. If you got a new puppy, get him a pup box. Use my special...
0: Well, that one there? Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, good video. It's been a while since we've done a
0: little reaction video like that before. Um, yeah. Okay, listen, I, I understand all these arguments. I just think that they're... I love when like videos like that are posted like, this is going to be the one that just totally proves them all wrong. Yeah. But again, the other side of the spectrum is just having that argument, as I presented a couple times throughout this, of all of the extra variables that go into the decision... And why we continue to do things the way that we do. And there's so many people that do continue to do things the way they do. Yep. So that's a good one. It was a very well put together video. I appreciate how much time he probably put into that. I mean, he had to collect all those different studies and articles. It's well produced and stuff. Which, yeah. hey, he does a good job with that. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it presents many other questions, that video. And as I told him last time we reviewed one of his videos, come on the podcast. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. So maybe he'll watch this one too. And we'll be able to... Uh, talk about it convince him to come on that'd be nice that'd be sick yeah because
1: so. <laughs> yet again it just seems like there's more agreeing than disagreeing it's just just we agree slightly, on a lot yeah just slightly different ways of doing it and he even says that yeah. it's like
0: it's it's the villainizing it's the villainizing of the opposite that is what kills me with it you know yeah i, know. I understand everything he's trying to say i do but i think that it's leaving out too many variables that are very important in the decision making process exactly so what do you think
1: i'm on the same page with you <clears throat> i just uh <clears throat> i don't know i think there's too much villainizing on it and it's like i don't know he, he tried uh, there's like a, a, a obvious like trying of making it look way worse than it actually is yeah you know like like the whole quarter zone like levels and all that like like you said yeah of course it's like in that that specific moment it's not supposed to be the best thing ever no. but
0: I don't think anybody's gotten punished for anything and liked it
1: <laughs> exactly I don't but think that's ever happened ever no but <laughs> but like in most things in life the the uncomfortable <clears throat> moments are when you if you want to if since he was equating it to humans you know the the most like difficult times, or when you grow and like figure things out, really. Mm-hmm. So,
0: well, that's where I'm at. Hope you guys liked it. Mm-hmm. A little good reaction video for you, and hopefully, our guest is internet next week. We're yep. gonna have her on,
1: and let us know what you think. Let about, us know what you think. Yeah, about Zach's video, and go get a Bark Box. Yeah, or Pup Box. Subscribe to Pup Box. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time. See you.